story one of jim the story of a backwoods police dog and other stories this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by david wales jim the story of a backwoods police dog and other stories by charles roberts story one jim the story of a backwoods police dog part one how woolly billy came to brine's rip one jim's mother was a big cross-bred bitch half newfoundland and half bloodhound belonging to black saunders one of the hands at the brine's rip mills as the mills were always busy saunders was always busy and it was no place for a dog to be around among the screeching saws the thumping wet logs and the spurting sawdust so the big bitch with fiery energy thrilling her veins and sinews and the restraint of a master's hand seldom exercised upon her practically ran wild hunting on her own account in the deep wilderness which surrounded brine's rip settlement she became a deadly menace to every wild thing less formidable than a bear or a bull moose till at last in the early prime of her adventurous career she was shot by an angry game warden for her depredations among the deer and the young caribou jim's father was a splendid and pedigreed specimen of the old english sheepdog from a litter of puppies of this uncommon parentage tug blackstock the deputy sheriff of nipsiwaska county chose out the one that seemed to him the likeliest paid black saunders a sovereign for him and named him jim to tug blackstock for some unfathomed reason the name of jim stood for self-contained efficiency it was efficiency in chief that tug blackstock as deputy sheriff was after he had been reading in a stray magazine with torn cover and much-thumbed pages an account of the wonderful doings of the trained police dogs of paris the story had fired his imagination and excited his envy there was a lawless element in some of the outlying corners of nipsiwaska county with a larger element of yet more audacious lawlessness beyond the county line from which to recruit throughout the wide and mostly wilderness expanse of nipsiwaska county the responsibility for law and order rested almost solely upon the shoulders of tug blackstock his chief the sheriff a prosperous shopkeeper who owed his appointment to his political pull knew little and thought less of the duties of his office as soon as jim was old enough to have an interest beyond his breakfast and the worrying of his rag doll tug blackstock set about his training it was a matter that could not be hurried tug had much work to do and jim as behooved a growing puppy had a deal of play to get through in the course of each twenty-four hours then so hard was the learning so easy alas the forgetting tug blackstock was kind to all creatures but timber thieves and other evil-doers of like kidney he was patient with the long patience of the forest but he had a will like the granite of old baldface jim was quick of wit willing to learn intent to please his master but it was hard for him to concentrate it was hard to keep his mind off cats and squirrels the worrying of old boots and other doggish frivolities hence at times some painful misunderstandings between teacher and pupil in the main however the education of jim progressed to a marvel 
they were a pair indeed to strike the most stolid imagination let alone the sensitive brooding watchful imagination of the backwoods tug blackstock was a tall spare figure of a man narrow of hip deep of chest with something of a stoop to his mighty shoulders and his head thrust forward as if in ceaseless scrutiny of the unseen his hair worn somewhat short and pushed straight back was faintly grizzled his face tanned and lean was markedly wide at the eyes with a big well-modelled nose a long obstinate jaw and a wide mouth whimsically uptwisted at one corner except on the trail and even then he usually carried a razor in his pack he was always clean-shaven just because he didn't like the curl of his beard his jacket shirt and trousers were of browny gray homespun of much the same hue as his soft slouch hat all as inconspicuous as possible but at his throat loosely knotted under his wide rolling shirt collar he wore usually an ample silk handkerchief of vivid green spattered with big yellow spots like dandelions in a young june meadow as for jim at first glance he might almost have been taken for a slim young black bear rather than a dog the shaggy coat bequeathed to him by his sheep-dog sire gave to his legs and to his hindquarters an appearance of massiveness that was almost clumsy but under this dense black fleece his lines were fine and clean-drawn as a bull terrier's the hair about his eyes grew so long and thick that if left to itself it would have seriously interfered with his vision this his master could not think of permitting so the riotous hair was trimmed down severely till jim's large sagacious eyes gazed out unimpeded from ferocious brush-like rims of stubby fur about half an inch in length Two for some ten miles above the long white furrowed face of brine's rip where blue forks brook flows in the main stream of the adonunsis is a succession of mad rapids and toothed ledges and treacherous channel-splitting shoals these ten miles are a trial of nerve and watercraft for the best canoeist on the river in the spring when the river was in freshet and the feed logs were racing battering and jamming the whole reach was such a death trap for the stream drivers that it had come to be known as dead man's run now in high summer when the stream was shrunken in its channel and the sunshine lay golden over the roaring creamy chutes and the dancing shallows the place looked less perilous but it was full of snares and hidden teeth it was no place for the canoeist however expert with the pole and paddle unless he knew how to read the water unerringly for many yards ahead it is this reading of the water this instantaneous solving of the hieroglyphics of foam and surge and swirl and glassy lunge that makes the skilled runner of the rapids a light birch-bark canoe with a man in the stern and a small child in the bow was approaching the head of the rapids which were hidden from the paddler's view by a high densely wooded bend of the shore the canoe leapt forward swiftly on the smooth quiet current under the strong drive of the paddle the paddler was a tall big-limbed man with fair hair fringing out under his tweed cap and a face burnt red rather than tanned by the weather he was dressed roughly but well and not as a woodsman 
and he had a subtle air of being foreign to the backwoods he knew how to handle his paddle however the prow of his craft keeping true though his strokes were slow and powerful the child who sat facing him on a cushion in the bow was a little boy of four or five years in a short scarlet jacket and blue knickers his fat bare legs were covered with fly bites and scratches his baby face of the tenderest cream and pink his round interested eyes as blue as periwinkle blossoms but the most conspicuous thing about him was his hair he was bareheaded his little cap lying in the bottom of the canoe among the luggage and the hair as white as tow stood out like a fleece all over his head enmeshing the sunlight in its silken tangle when the canoe shot round the bend the roar of the rapids smote suddenly upon the voyager's ears the child turned his bright head inquiringly but from his low place could see nothing to explain the noise his father however sitting up on the hinder bar of the canoe could see a menacing white line of tossing crests a flash in the sunlight stretching from shore to shore backing water vigorously to check his headway he stood up to get a better view and choose his way through the surge the stranger was master of his paddle but he had had no adequate experience in running rapids such light and unobstructed rips as he had gone through had merely sufficed to make him regard lightly the menace confronting him he had heard of the perils of dead man's run but that of course meant in time of freshet when even the mildest streams are liable to go mad and run amuck this was the season of dead low water and it was hard for him to imagine there could be anything really to fear from this lively but shrunken stream he was strong clear-eyed steady of nerve and he anticipated no great trouble in getting through as the light craft dipped into the turmoil jumping as if buffeted from below and the wave-tops slapped in on either side of the bow the little lad gave a cry of fear sit tight boy don't be afraid said the father peering ahead with intent narrowed eyes and surging fiercely on his blade to avoid a boiling rock just below the first chute as he swept past in safety he laughed in triumph for the passage had been close and exciting and the conquest of a mad rapid is one of the thrilling things in life and worth going far for his laugh reassured the child who laughed also but cowered low in the canoe and stared over the gunwale with wide eyes of awe but already the canoe was darting down toward a line of black rocks smothered in foam the man paddled desperately to gain the other shore where there seemed to be a clear passage slanting sharply across the great current surging with short terrific strokes upon his sturdy maple blade his teeth set and his breath coming in grunts he was swept on downward sideways toward the rocks with appalling speed but he made the passage swept the bow round and raced through shaving the rock so narrowly that his heart paused and the sweat jumped out suddenly cold on his forehead immediately afterwards the current swept him to midstream just here the channel was straight and clear of rocks and though the rips were heavy the man had a few minutes respite with little to do but hold his course with a stab at the heart he realized now into what peril he had brought his baby eagerly he looked for a chance to land but on neither side could he make shore with any chance of escaping shipwreck 
a woodsman expert with the canoe pole might have managed it but the stranger had neither pole nor skill to handle one he was in the grip of the wild current and could only race on trusting to master each new emergency as it should hurl itself upon him presently the little one took alarm again at his father's stern-set mouth and preoccupied eyes the man had just time to shout once more don't be afraid son dad'll take care of you when the canoe was once more in a yelling chaos of shoots and ledges and now there was no respite unable to read the signs of the water he was full upon each new peril before he recognized it and only his great muscular strength and instant decision saved them again and again they barely by a hair's breadth slipped through the jaws of death and it seemed to the man that the gnashing ledges raved and yelled behind him at each miracle of escape then hissing wave crests cut themselves off and leapt over the racing gunwale till he feared the canoe would be swamped once they scraped so savagely that he thought the bottom was surely ripped from the canoe but still he won onward mile after roaring mile his will fighting doggedly to keep his eyesight from growing hopelessly confused with the hellish sliding dazzle and riot of waters but at last the fiend of the flood having played with its prey long enough laid bare its claws and struck the bow of the canoe in swerving from one foam-curtained rock grounded heavily upon another in an instant the little craft was swung broadside on and hung there the waves piled upon her in a yelling pack she was smothered down and rolled over helplessly as they shot out into the torrent the man with a terrible cry sprang toward the bow striving to reach his son he succeeded in catching the little one with one hand by the back of the scarlet jacket the next moment he went under and the jacket came off over the child's head a whimsical cross-current dragged the little boy twenty feet off to one side and shot him into a shallow side channel when the man came to the surface again his eyes were shut his face stark white his legs and arms flung about aimlessly as weeds but fast in his unconscious grip he held the little red jacket the canoe its side stove in and full of water was hurrying off down the rapid amid a fleet of paddles cushions blankets boxes and bundles the body of the man heavy and inert and sprawling followed more slowly the waves rolled it over and trampled it down shouldered it up again and snatched it away viciously whenever it showed an inclination to hang itself up on some projecting ledge it was long since they had had such a victim on whom to glut their rancor the child meanwhile after being rolled through the laughing shallows of the side channel and playfully buffeted into a half-drowned unconsciousness was stranded on a sand spit some eight or ten yards from the right-hand shore there he lay half in the water half out of it the silken white floss of his hair all plastered down to his head the rippled current tugging at his scratched and bitten legs the unclouded sun shone down warmly upon his face slowly bringing back the rose to his baby lips and a small paper-blue butterfly hovered over his head for a few seconds as if puzzled to make out what kind of being he was 
the sand spit which had given the helpless little one refuge was close to the shore but separated from it by a deep and turbulent current a few minutes after the blue butterfly had flickered away across the foam a large black bear came noiselessly forth from the fir woods and down to the water's edge he gazed searchingly up and down the river to see if there were any other human creatures in sight then stretched his savage black muzzle out over the water toward the sand-pit eyeing and sniffing at the little unconscious figure there in the sun he could not make out whether it was dead or only asleep in either case he wanted it he stepped into the foaming edge of the sluice and stood there whimpering with disappointed appetite daunted by the snaky vehemence of the current presently as the warmth of the flooding sun crept into his veins the child stirred and opened his blue eyes he sat up noticed he was sitting in the water crawled to a dry spot and snuggled down into the hot sand for a moment he was too dazed to realize where he was then as the life pulsed back into his veins he remembered how his father's hand had caught him by the jacket just as he was plunging into the awful waves now the jacket was gone his father was gone too daddy daddy he wailed and at the sound of that wailing cry so unmistakably the cry of a youngling for its parent the bear drew back discreetly behind a bush and glanced uneasily up and down the stream to see if the parent would come in answer to the appeal he had a wholesome respect for the grown-up man-creature of either sex and was ready to retire on the approach of one but no one came the child began to sob softly in a lonesome frightened suppressed way in a minute or two however he stopped this and rose to his feet and began repeating over and over the shrill wail of daddy 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 at the same time he peered about him in every direction almost hopefully as if he thought his father must be hiding somewhere near to jump out presently for a game of bo-peep with him his baby eyes were keen they did not find his father but they found the bear its great black head staring at him from behind a bush his cries stopped on the instant in the middle of a syllable frozen in his throat with terror he cowered down again upon the sand and stared speechless at the awful apparition the bear realizing that the little one's cries had brought no succor came out from his hiding confidently and down to the shore and straight out into the water till the current began to drag too savagely at its legs here it stopped grumbling and baffled the little one unable any longer to endure the dreadful sight backed to the extreme edge of the sand covered his face with his hands and fell to whimpering piteously an unceasing hopeless monotonous little cry as vague and inarticulate as the wind the bear convinced at length that the sluice just here was too strong for him to cross drew back to the shore reluctantly it moved slowly upstream some forty or fifty yards looking for a feasible crossing disappointed in this direction it then explored the water's edge for a little distance downstream but with a like result but it would not give up up and down up and down it continued to patrol the shore with hungry obstinacy 
and the piteous whimpering of the little figure that cowered with hidden face upon the sand-spit gradually died away that white fleece of silken locks dried in the sun and blown by the warm breeze stood out once more in its radiance on the lonely little slumbering head three tug blackstock sat on a log smoking and musing on the shore of that wide eddying pool full of slow whirls and spent foam clusters in which the tumbling riot of brine's rip came to a rest from the mills behind him screeched the untiring saws outstretched at feet lay jim indolently snapping at flies the men of the village were busy in the mills the women in their cottages the children in their schools and the stretch of rough shore gave tug blackstock the solitude which he loved down through the last race of the rapids came a canoe paddle and began revolving slowly in the eddies blackstock pointed it out to jim and sent him in after it the dog swam for it gaily grabbed it by the top so that it could trail at his side and brought it to his master's feet it was a good paddle of clean bird's-eye maple and malachite pattern and tug blackstock wondered who could have been so careless as to lose it carelessness is a vice regarded with small leniency in the backwoods a few minutes later down the rapids came wallowing a waterlogged birch canoe the other things which had started out with it the cushions and blankets and bundles had got themselves tangled in the rocks and left behind at sight of the wrecked canoe tug blackstock rose to his feet he began to suspect another of the tragedies of dead man's run but what riverman could come to grief in the run at this stage of the water blackstock turned to an old dugout which lay hauled up on the shore ran it down into the water and paddled out to salvage the wrecked canoe he towed it to shore emptied it and scrutinized it he thought he knew every canoe on the river but this one was a stranger to him it had evidently been brought across the portage from the east coast then he found burnt into the inside of the gunwale near the bow the letters j c m w the englishman he muttered he's let the canoe get away from him at the head of the run likely when he's gone ashore he'd never have tried to shoot the run alone and him with no experience of rapids but he was uneasy he decided that he would get his own canoe and pole up through the rapids just to satisfy himself tug blackstock's canoe a strong and swift federicton of polished canvas built on the lines of a racing birch was kept under cover in his woodshed at the end of the village street he shouldered it carrying it over his head with the mid-bar across his shoulders and bore it down to the water's edge then he went back and fetched his two canoe poles and his paddles waving jim into the bow he was just about to push off when his narrowed eyes caught sight of something else rolling and threshing helplessly down the rapid only too well he saw what it was his face pale with concern he thrust the canoe violently up into the tail of the rapid just in time to catch the blindly sprawling shape before it could sink to the depths of the pool tenderly he lifted it out upon the shore it was battered almost out of recognition but he knew it poor devil poor devil he muttered sorrowfully he was a man all right but he didn't understand rapids for shucks then he noticed that in the dead man's right hand was clutched a tiny child's jacket he understood 
he saw the whole scene and he swore compassionately under his breath as he unloosed the rigid fingers alive or dead the little one must be found at once he called jim sharply and showed him the soaked red jacket jim sniffed at it but the wearer's scent was long ago soaked out of it he looked it over and pawed it wagging his tail doubtfully he could see it was a small child's jacket but what was he expected to do with it after a few moments tug blackstock patted the jacket vigorously and then waved his arm upstream go find him jim he ordered jim hanging upon each word and gesture comprehended instantly he was to find the owner of the little jacket a child somewhere up the river with a series of eager yelps which meant that he would do all that living dog could do he started up the shore on the full run by this time the mill whistles had blown the screaming of the saws had stopped the men powdered with yellow sawdust were streaming out from the wide doors they flocked down to the water in hurried words blackstock explained the situation then he stepped once more into his canoe snatched his long steel-shod pole and thrust his prow up into the wild current leaving the dead man to the care of the coroner and the village authorities before he had battled his way more than a few hundred yards upwards through the raging smother two more canoes with expert polers standing poised in them like statues had pushed out to follow him in his search the rest of the crowd picked up the body and bore it away reverently to the courtroom with sympathetic women weeping beside it racing along the open edge of the river where it was possible tearing fiercely through thicket and underbrush where rapids or rocks made the river's edge impassable the great black dog panted onwards with the sweat dripping from jaws and tongue whenever he was forced away from the river he would return to it every fifty yards or so and scan each rock shoal or sand spit with keen sagacious eyes he had been told to search the river that was the plain interpretation of the wet jacket and of tug blackstock's gesture so he wasted no time upon the woods and the undergrowth at last he caught sight of the little fluffy-headed figure huddled upon the sand spit far across the river he stopped stared intently and then burst into loud ecstatic barkings as an announcement that his search had been successful but the noise did not carry across the tumult of the ledge and the little one slept on exhausted by his terror and his grief it was not only the sleeping child that jim saw he saw the bear and his barking broke into shrill yelps of alarm and appeal he could not see that the sluice between the sandspit and the bank was an effective barrier and he was frantic with anxiety lest the bear should attack the little one before he could come to the rescue his experienced eye told him in a moment that the river was impassable for him at this point he dashed on upstream for another couple of hundred yards and then where a breadth of comparatively slack water beneath a long ledge extended more than halfway across he plunged in undaunted by the clamour and the jumping boiling foam swimming mightily he gained a point directly above the sand spit then fighting every inch of the way to get across the terrific draught of the main current he was swept downward at a tremendous speed but he had carried out his plan 
he gained the shallow side channel splashed down it and darted up the sand spit with a menacing growl at the bear across the sluice at the sound of that harsh growl close to his ears the little one woke up and raised his head seeing jim big and black and dripping he thought it was the bear with a piercing scream he once more hid his face in his hands rigid with horror puzzled at this reception jim fell to licking his hands and his ears extravagantly and whining and thrusting a coaxing wet nose under his arm at last the little fellow began to realize that these were not the actions of a foe timidly he lowered his hands from his face and looked around why there was the bear on the other side of the water tremendous and terrible but just where he had been this ever so long this creature that was making such a fuss over him was plainly a dog a kind good dog who was fond of little boys with a sigh of inexpressible relief his terror slipped from him he flung his arms about jim's shaggy neck and buried his face in the wet fur and jim his heart swelling with pride stood up and barked furiously across at the bear tug blackstock standing in the stern of his canoe plied his pole with renewed effort reaching the spit he strode forward snatched the child up in his arms and passed his great hand tenderly through that wonderful shock of whitey gold silken curls his eyes were moist but his voice was hearty and gay as if this meeting were the most ordinary thing in the world hello woolly billy he cried what are you doing here daddy left me here answered the child his lip beginning to quiver where's he gone to oh replied tug blackstock hurriedly your dad was called away rather sudden and he sent me and jim here to look after you till he gets back and we'll do it too woolly billy don't you fret my name's george harold manners watson explained the child politely but we'll just call you woolly billy for short said tug blackstock end of story one part one